This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to women who are losing their marbles. I'm Joe Lipsit, and I am joined as always by my co host, Gina Radcliffe. Hello. As well as Jen Adams. Hello. And I don't know if we would qualify this film as a seasonal entry, but it did <laughs> give me the warm fuzzy. So, mm. Jen, I have to commend you for choosing Ghost for our Yay. December film. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night as I was watching because it is not, I don't think, in any way a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if maybe it's the the sparklies in the light that comes down from, I guess, what is supposed to be heaven that kind of feel like Christmas lights or something. But, yeah, it does feel like a really heartwarming season movie you know Mm -hmm. yeah this definitely takes place in the height of summer because you can see people like tony goldwyn sweating through their shirts (laughs) (laughs) when he's not spilling coffee on himself so he can reveal his bare chest (laughs) whoops oh boy yeah i have some thoughts about those abs (laughs) yeah I'm not going to lie. I was verklumpen over the shirtlessness and the youthfulness of Tony Goldwyn throughout this film. Totally. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time. I mean, if you haven't seen this 30-year-old movie, I'm going to spoil it for you. That, that <laughs> he He's the bad guy uh-huh. as it ends up. And he uh-huh. just has no chill whatsoever. No. <laughs> like, you almost feel sorry for him because mm-hmm. when, when everything starts like going to hell, I mean, he's literally sweating and like mm-hmm. oh god i'm gonna be sick and yeah. he just he like he makes this really clumsy attempt to hit on her and, mm-hmm. and he's just so pathetic and and you 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 almost feel sorry for him even though mm-hmm. he, he he you know he's responsible for the death of uh, you know, you know, beloved you know, movie star patrick swayze may mm-hmm. he rest in peace mm-hmm. I love him. Yeah, it's funny. This was because I remember watching this when it came out, probably not in theaters, but almost immediately after from like Blockbuster, probably. And this was the first thing I'd ever seen Tony Goldwyn in. And I was obsessed with this movie. And so every time I see him in anything, I'm like, oh, he's the bad guy in Ghost. So he just kind (laughs) of has this like air of like kind of pathetic bad guyness, but also like I still love him because he's 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 like still endearing you know although you are right he might as well have like a a sign that says guilty flashing on his forehead throughout the movie well it's just such a strange like dynamic that Mm -hmm. he has with this couple sam and molly in which he is Mm -hmm. constantly the third wheel yes oh they are practically swingers in the early parts of this film Mm -hmm. yeah like they're (laughs) moving into this amazing apartment i I just can't get i can't get over this apartment that they live in uh, you know, apparently on on his income as an investment banker, I mm-hmm. guess question mark. <laughs> and she's a potter, mm. so uh-huh. you know they they're just rolling in cash. So. <laughs> it's like friends. <laughs> And oh, like the, the, he's helping them move, they're both shirtless and Ooh. like moving stuff around in, in her house. And, mm-hmm. and at one point, like like Sam and Molly have a date night, and Sam and Sam's like, "Hey, you want to come along?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, what is this relationship here? Which begs the question: Is Demi Moore the luckiest woman alive in the night in 1990? Also. I would say she certainly is until the late 90s and the movie uh, A Walk on the Moon, in which Diane Lane was forced to choose between nice Jewish boy Liev Schreiber and sexy mm. hippie Viggo Mortensen. Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, let's just put it out there. We will probably cover, oh, what is yeah. the one with Diane Lane? Oh, uh, um, Unfaithful? Unfaithful, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> Yeah, like, Diane Lane has had a lot of good roles. She's Mm -hmm. a great actress. She also has a lot of really hot co-stars. Oh, she Mm -hmm. sure does. And, you know, she's no slouch herself, too. No, yeah, no, she's gorgeous. Mm Mm-hmm. She looks exactly the same. I mean, that was one of the things that I was struck by this film. Like, obviously, thirsting after Tony Goldwyn. But also, (laughs) everyone in this movie, like, Patrick Swayze looks the same as he did nearly up until the end. Demi Moore looks the same. Like, obviously, they have a youthful vitality. But it is amazing how well 
all of these actors aged, mm-hmm. considering this is 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth pointing out, you're both kids when this movie came out. I was an older teenager. Oh, really? Uh, and I think it's uh, it's worth mentioning that this was a big deal when this movie mm. came out. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it, yeah. Was the, it was the biggest movie of 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, for a while, one of the biggest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It revived um, Unchained Melody, um, the mm-hmm. song that plays during their love scene that that was re-released after like 30 years. That song was everywhere. Yeah, it was everywhere. Uh, it broke Debbie Moore away from the Brat Pack. Right. Uh, it broke Patrick Swayze away from like Dirty Dancing and kind of like you know, the sort of teen idol type mm-hmm. status he had been stuck in. I mean, this was... A huge, huge, huge movie. And it's one of those movies that Ollie's just kind of sort of seemed to disappear from from mm-hmm. the conversation, which is odd because, you know, it's aged well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's still so watchable. Right. Yeah. There isn't anything in it that you would say like, oh, boy, can't make do that anymore. Can't make that joke anymore. It's still pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, it won, it won an Academy Award for, yeah. for, for Whoopi Goldberg. Ah, oh, so well earned. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for Best Picture, which was a thing a lot of people were kind of offended by because it was oh, of course, it was a romantic mm-hmm. fantasy, and that's a genre that people you know even today don't take particularly seriously. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was more suggested that it was being rewarded because it made so much money. Oh, mm-hmm. like that's never happened with any other film before. Totally. Well, yeah, but you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it, it's you know, all you need to know is that it's a movie geared you know pretty openly towards women. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> which we do not like <laughs> as a society. Women. Exactly. Right. Also, women getting sexy, like having sexy urges. What? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. I will confess, I always forget, and maybe this is the reason why I think it's more of a holiday film, because I forget that it came out in the summer, because traditionally you wouldn't see this sort of film like i was reading an IndieWire piece that's you know kind of eight reasons why ghost is still a big deal or why we should give it more credit and one of the points that they make in the piece is that it confirmed that there is an audience for adult fare that is not an action movie that's not a horror film or something like that in the dog days or the the heat of the summer which is traditionally when we see a lot of you know male oriented films Mm -hmm. and so for this film to come out and just make bank and stay at the top for weeks on end it gently reminds everybody hey women like movies women (laughs) like movies that are well crafted you can have emotionality in a film and it might even do well and earn oscars Mm mm-hmm you know, and every few years we we are amazed at this knowledge again that mm-hmm. women go to the movies. Yes, totally. Oh my God, <laughs> women enjoy motion pictures. And I feel like this movie, because it is, yes, I think it is geared towards women, but it doesn't feel like an overly like feminine movie either, because you do mm-hmm. have Tony Goldman and Patrick Swayze, who I want to talk about in a little bit, but like it still feels like like our protagonist is a man. Oh, yeah. Right, it's more—it's much more from Sam's perspective than mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just feels like a very humanist kind of movie, you know? Like, it's not, I wouldn't call it like a chick flick, even though it does kind of share a little bit of the same DNA. Yes. Yeah, I think one of the things that I was interested in re-watching it through a more contemporary lens was how Demi Moore's character Molly is depicted versus uh, Patrick Swayze's Sam, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right, Jen, a lot of the film is from Sam's perspective, but then there are these moments that Molly has that really resonated with me, like early on when they're in bed together, and Mm -hmm. he almost seems disinterested, like there's a lot on his mind, and she's trying to connect with him emotionally. And Obviously, this is building the foundation of the relationship so that we are deeply invested when he is killed. But just this idea that they are a regular couple, they don't communicate about their feelings all that well, it really sets up the arc of this Mm -hmm. film so that we actually care about all of the things happening around the special effects and the mystery of why Sam was killed. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, sure people like to say oh demi moral she does this cry in this movie and she does but without her we don't care (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah, it does feel like a really grounded relationship for as little time as we actually get of them together. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting because she is not overly sexualized at all. You know, I was as I was watching this, I was just kind of looking at the way she's styled in this movie. And I love it. You know, first of all, there's that haircut, which is just Mm -hmm. I remember that haircut was everywhere in 1990 also. Mm -hmm. And just like she's wearing this green T-shirt and she's very she just looks very comfortable, but also like she's Demi Moore. So, of course, she looks sexy. But it's like other than the actual sex scenes, which I also Mm -hmm. have some thoughts on, like it's not. (laughs) and overly like she's not objectified at all you know in fact like the men are more objectified than she is which i found really refreshing yeah absolutely yeah just the opening shot when you first see humans and it's just those abs both sets of them that was (laughs) i I really enjoyed that moment where they were there like lifting this enormous angel statue for yeah I remember watching that when I was little and thinking, oh, my God, you're going to fall off. And then just being amazed by Patrick Swayze, who I just love. Uh, he was my, he was probably one of my first teenage crushes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, same. I remember at a slumber party watching Dirty Dancing for the first time, and we all kissed the screen when he walked <laughs> in. <laughs> like, he was, but he's, like, he's so wholesome, too, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he, he was always, like, he was a wife guy, which was really sweet mm-hmm. before. Yeah, before that became a thing, we was constantly talking about how great his wife was. and uh, Okay. And I remember, like, it was a big deal because he was on uh, Barbara Walters recalling about his father dying. And, and he right. cried. And apparently this was a big deal because he was, like, this sort of, like, really, like, classically masculine guy from Texas mm-hmm. who rode horses yeah. and stuff like that. Like in Roadhouse. Yeah. And here he is, like crying on television not being embarrassed about it and then he, he mentioned later that he he took that emotion and put it into his performance particularly looking at the scene where he has already died and is and is outside of his body looking down at himself dying mm. right and apparently that scene like the television spectacle that he quote-unquote made of himself because he dared to show emotion mm. that's actually what got him attention for this role like really Yeah, in this IndieWire piece, they say that Jerry Zucker saw him on TV crying and he thought, okay, that's the guy that I want for this. And they they didn't buy it. They still sent it out to Bruce Willis and David Duchovny and a bunch of Mm. other kind of people who were big A-listers. And then they finally said, okay, fine, bring in Swayze, like get him to do a screen test. And apparently the minute that he broke down again or like showed that emotion, they all Mm -hmm. said, okay, yeah, this is the guy. We got him. Yeah. And that reveal is devastating too when because i mean i it had been a while since i'd seen it and i had forgotten how that plays out and just seeing him run after willie lopez and you're thinking oh he got away shoo you Mm -hmm. know and then you look back and she's just holding his body it's just it's so sad yeah i'm a big fan of how death is revealed in this movie i Mm -hmm. think it's really different from a lot of other films, right? Like Mm -hmm. the almost elasticity with which the quote unquote souls come out of the body. It actually reminded me of the stop motion that we see in like who framed Roger rabbit and leather kind of live action animation mixes. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really evocative and it doesn't feel like anything else that we see when we see ghost movies. Mm-hmm. I also like that it doesn't explain too much about why some people are able to ascend to heaven or be taken down to hell or wherever mm-hmm. right away, and some others are just kind of stuck. I mean, you can assume it's because, you know, like in a lot of these things, oh, they have quote unquote unfinished business or whatever, right. mm-hmm. but they don't really go too much into that. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's no rules. Right. He does encounter other ghosts, like, of course, a particularly memorable scene is the subway ghost who mm-hmm. who's sort of who's like this sort of torture I, this character is so spooky and so mm-hmm. sad and he's just this like tortured ghost who's who's stuck kind of haunting the subways because he got he got pushed onto the tracks yeah. and, and now he's basically a poltergeist he's, he's this like angry ghost who has learned to direct his anger and and sorrow into moving objects which not a lot of ghosts can do apparently 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, the moment when he says, I can't remember exactly what the line was, was the people that pushed me. And he just kind of throws that line out. It's chilling. Well, but he says it. And then he says, oh, you think I jumped? And Mm -hmm. I love that they leave it so open-ended that you think, okay, maybe he was murdered or maybe he was mentally ill and he died Mm -hmm. by suicide. Yeah. It's such a great character actor role for Vincent Schiavelli. Schiavelli, I think it is, who's been in a ton of things. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. you, you can't miss that face. Yeah. Yeah. But this is such a memorable scene. And it's really only like, what, 10 minutes that he's on screen in this movie, but he is so memorable. Yeah, if that. He makes a huge impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I love, like, because you're right, it is a really kind of deep and complex portrayal of death without explaining anything because I like the one I think that really touched me when I was watching again was the guy the first one he meets who is hanging out at the hospital just waiting Mm -hmm. for his wife to die he was like oh that I really like that idea that he just chose to hang around and wait for her you know and I think it just feels like there's a lot of push and pull and it is a very kind of intangible concept but just really portrayed really compassionately in a lot of ways you know Mm-hmm. and that's the same kind of thing right like the characters come in and out of this narrative and unless they're sam or molly or to a lesser extent otome and carl they flit through they have their moment and then at this point sam turns his attention away and this old man is just gone like we don't need to mm-hmm. see him find his wife and the two of them ascend to heaven which is something mm-hmm. that a more saccharine less confident film would have shown us totally mm-hmm. or like the woman who walks through the gravestone like we right. never find out anything else about her but mm-hmm. it's just that haunting but not scary moment in the film you know yeah and it's another one that i think is really memorable yeah this film just has pops of that kind of thing in it Mm -hmm. right yeah i like how you said it's confident it just feels like it is it's just giving us this story that is really really heartfelt and so it can just give us enough and and focus on what it needs to focus on Mm -hmm. like abs yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) and and ridiculous apartments oh god yeah the house porn in this one too Okay, let's talk about the house porn, and then we'll talk about Swayze. (laughs) So, Gina, you and I had a conversation offline about which apartment we think is bigger, Bridget Fonda's and Single White Female, or this. (laughs) I think this, because it's multi-story. Yeah, this one, this one's nicer, too. Like, the building's nicer. Like, like in Single White Female, the apartment itself is pretty nice, but, like, the, the exterior of the building and the hallway are pretty decrepit. This is just this is just nice all over. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pottery wheel. Like those things are not cheap. They're not easy. Like you need a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And it's it's meant to be like a loft, right? It is. Yeah. The open conceptness of it is so spectacular because mm-hmm. you realize, like, right as we go into the sex scene and she's kind of <laughs> working on her craft, she just has the pottery wheel out in the middle of a room, and you think, who has this kind of space? Like, exactly. I am podcasting from my bedroom right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I know a person who is a professional potter and she still rents studio time. Yeah, because I I took a pottery class last year and not even with the wheel, just sculpting. And Mm -hmm. it is a goddamn mess. It's impossible to to do it without getting clay water all over the place. So yeah, you Mm -hmm. need a dedicated space to do it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's destroying those hardwood floors. She really is. (laughs) (laughs) She just has to have like Dexter sheets all over the place, I think. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, this is how I knew I was getting old, because as soon as the sex scene starts and you see Patrick Swayze caressing Demi Moore's hands with the clay water and it's just getting everywhere, all I thought was, oh, no, you don't want to have sex now. You want to go wash your hands. You're going to (laughs) get clay everywhere. It's going to be so messy. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that, that I have to mention is uh, in the movie The Naked Gun. Oh my god, yes. yes. They, they parodied the scene and, mm-hmm. and at one point like they're just kissing while the wheel is still moving. Mm-hmm. And 
somebody from off screen is clearly throwing clay at them so it's all like <laughs> splattering in their face and all mm-hmm. and then like later in the scene it like pans down and like it goes from like leslie nielsen's face to like a insanely ripped guy mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then she like reaches into his pants and like pulls out a lump of clay and sculpts it into an ashtray like while they're, while they're kissing. <laughs> oh my god i remember that movie <laughs> Because this scene was everywhere, too. Like, I remember it being just like, and I still think it might be one of my favorite sex scenes of all time. It's it's tame, but sexy. Yeah, That's the thing. I kept waiting to see thrusting or like pants around ankles. And they're mostly fully clothed throughout the whole thing. They're just kissing and caressing. They are. Yeah, but it's all perfectly timed to the music, which I think I just love it. Coming out of their jukebox in their apartment. Oh, oh my god! I know. <laughs> the dream to have a clay wheel and a jukebox, ladies. Yeah. Do you think they were the first hipsters? Maybe <laughs> they, they might have been. Well, they, they, the neighborhood they are in uh, is right on the cusp of when it became trendy. Like a few, oh, really? a few years earlier, that was where that was where Chud took place. So. Oh my god. <laughs> And then, and then it was, and then it started being gentrified, and like, like the artists moved in and moved in and all. Mm. right <laughs> and if this movie was remade now this would be in brooklyn nope totally 100 percent. 100 percent. okay so jen tell us a little bit more about patrick swayze what caught oh your eye gosh well i mean aside from the abs mm-hmm. yeah he just i think i i hadn't really thought about how like sensitively he is portrayed in this movie. And I kept thinking, I was looking at some of his credits because I know him from Dirty Dancing, which, you know, you could already, you could argue that is like, he is a dancer in that movie, which is, you know, slightly feminized, although he is just so, he, he finds this way of being masculine without being toxically masculine. Right, Mm -hmm. right, right, right. Even in movies, and I have not seen Roadhouse, but even in like a movie like Point Break, like he still just seems so kind and just like he seems like a good person even when he's playing a bad guy you know yeah and yeah, when we first meet this character sam he, he's a little bit of a meathead uh, you know, yeah. He, yeah. He, he for whatever reason can't bring himself to to say i love you mm-hmm. but but he clearly does love her i mean yeah. you, know, oh, yeah. the, you know the way you know he acts around her you know he, he does love her but he just can't bring himself to say it and yeah that's a that's a you know a, a sticking point for her understandably and and mm-hmm. but yeah you're absolutely right he did have this very unique sort of very masculine but also you know very soft and tender but what i my first introduction to him was um in the outsiders mm. oh yeah 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 where he was this sort of hard-ass older brother character, but when faced with the possibility of losing his younger siblings, again, he cries. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a really beautiful moment in, in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this movie is doing an interesting balance because there's that moment where they're bringing the angel up and they can't get it, and he is an asshole. And he pulls that prank where he grabs her, but it's almost like, oh, I almost pushed you out, or oh, you mm-hmm. almost fell. And she smacks him, but then he tells everybody, get out of the way. And you can see the gymnastics and the dancer in the actor come into mm-hmm. play when he swoops out, kicks the statue, and then grabs it. And then when you see him in the office environment with Tony Goldwyn, they're acting like imbeciles, right? They're frat mm. boys who are cracking jokes about a rush in the elevator and making other people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting dichotomy, right? Like he's embodying very traditional kind of bro behaviors, but also he's sensitive and he moves like a dancer. And mm-hmm. there's a very fascinating physicality to Patrick Swayze's role here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he is just such a unique person. Like I'm trying to think of another actor that is like universally beloved and just kind of can embody all of those different dichotomies and still find it believable. Yeah, I was, I was literally just going to say the exact same thing. I don't know if there's anybody, I don't know if there's a modern equivalent to him. Yeah. I feel like maybe Ryan Gosling, but he's got a bit mm. too much machismo smarm. Yeah, Ryan Gosling's a little too smirky in, yeah. in a lot of roles. I, I, I get a, a real, I always got a real sense of humility from, from Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. He, he, he went out of his way to not get too big of a head about things. 
right Mm -hmm. yeah and he i think growing up in the dance tradition like have you watched the movies that made us about dirty dancing Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. so good i remember crying that's one of my all-time favorite movies and just he just seems like he was kind of i don't want to say raised right but he just seems like a good person I mean, you know, he, he's been gone, what, about 10 years now? And, and no one's ever come out and said anything bad about him. So, yeah. you know, I yeah. think he's a, he's a rare breed. He really is. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I think the film has had such a, a cultural footprint, right? It's a film that hypothetically shouldn't have worked or been as successful as it was with a leading man like a once in a lifetime actor where mm-hmm. we've never been able to replicate this kind of person again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just love him. <laughs> <laughs> Is he the greatest actor? No, there's a, there's a yeah. couple scenes where he's a little shaky, but you know, I still believe in his character and, and yeah. I still, you know, am invested in this character, finding out what happened to him and trying to, communicate with the love of his life and Mm -hmm. and, you know so he makes that part work yeah Yeah. well he's very singular looking too you know and i don't know if he ever really transcends his patrick swayze-ness and disappears into a role you know i kind of think about him as like kind of like tom cruise like whenever or tom hanks like i'm always looking Mm. at tom hanks you know Right. I don't know. I can think of like five movies that are just iconic, but there's not like this breath. Like he's not a working man's actor, you know, Um, he just plays himself really well in these roles and he just brings this magic to it. But it's just it's like these unique kind of once in a lifetime roles, too. I can't believe none of us have mentioned uh, Tu Wong Fu. Right. (laughs) Which, again, was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. For him to be taking this role as as a drag queen and right. and you know a, a not at all bad looking drag queen and and no. and you know the whole you know movie was sort of a treatise on drag queens versus toxic masculinity and yeah. and you know just I I remember seeing I mean I haven't seen it in years it, maybe it's not as aged as well as I'd like to think it has but I remember the time thinking okay this subject is handled a lot better than I would give any of these people credit for. And that was in 95, too. That was 95, yep. Yeah, yeah. and that's very much like casting against type and taking a risk. Mm-hmm. I do think what you're saying, Jen, really connects with my perception of Swayze as an actor, which is that he doesn't really disappear into roles so much as he picks roles that are very well suited to him. And mm-hmm. as a result, he's able to execute them exceedingly well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you get that because now I'm looking at his IMDb credits and I'm remembering that he was also in Donnie Darko playing this really oh, dark right. role, which is like an example of like perfect casting against type, mm-hmm. the, like the rare occasion. And that's why I think it is so effective because he didn't like kind of turn a corner and start doing a lot more of those roles, you know. Right. Him and like Robin Williams in that time period, they were deliberately going mm-hmm. against their public persona. Yeah, which just speaks to the confidence I think he has in who he is, you know, and going back to Julie Newmar too, or to Wong Fu, like that's, that that's a big risk, but mm-hmm. it just seems like a natural part of his filmography, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just miss him. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. He, he was really awesome. is. He was so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So someone else who is really, really great in this movie can we talk a little bit about Whoopi Goldberg? Because, oh my God gosh. damn, is she delightful. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, she's amazing in this role. And the two of them together, too. It's so, like, I almost wanted them to have more of a moment at the end, you know? But they are just so delightful together. What do you guys think of um i read roger ebert's review of this it was oh god <laughs> it was it was fair i think he okay. gave like two i think it was two two and a half stars yeah I think but so. he he uh he said that he when, when the you know somewhat iconic scene now of patrick swayze taking over whoopi goldberg's body long enough to be able to be present for demi Moore to be able to feel him like touching her face and, mm-hmm. and feel his presence and then they, I think they dance. Roger Ebert said he wished that it had been Whoopi Goldberg the whole time. Mm. Like, just sort of controlled by Patrick Swayze, but her touching Demi Moore's face, he thought it would have been more 
emotionally resonant. And what do you do you guys what do you guys think of that? So I strongly disagree with that sentiment, if only because we've already seen Whoopi get taken over by ghosts. And Mm -hmm. I mean, even if she was willing to let it happen as she is in this scene, she has like an artificiality to it, right? Because the ghost doesn't quite fit in her body. And Mm -hmm. for me, this moment is the most important part of the film, right? It's their opportunity to reconnect before we get a traditional climax. But Mm -hmm. To me, it connotes that they're both so fully living in the moment that they are only actually seeing each other. Like, as weird as it sounds, Otome just disappears and Mm -hmm. we get the lovers reuniting and that's why we see Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Like, I think it would have been really, really distracting, particularly in 1990 when audiences were not ready to see two women being physically intimate in this way. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as the story goes, I think you're right. I think it needs to be Patrick Swayze. And it makes me wonder if this were to be remade now, Mm -hmm. if they would have handled it the same way and if there would have been criticism on either side, because I do think it would it would have been a powerful scene to see two women kind of embracing each other, you know, but I do think it is it would have taken away from the story element of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm reflecting back on Vince Vaughn taking over Catherine Newton in Freaky, and there's a mm. scene where her love interest, who's a teenage boy, kisses or nearly kisses Vince Vaughn. And mm-hmm. the dialogue that I saw around this wasn't, oh, it's adventurous. It was, okay, let's immediately do a trans reading of it, even if trans people are not interested in having that. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the age discrepancy between these actors. Like, yeah. Sadly, I think we're actually living in, I don't want to say an overly politicized moment, but I think it would just generate think pieces as opposed to fitting organically into the narrative, which in a film like Ghost, like they want you to be swept away. They want you to be invested. You're not yeah. supposed to be thinking of, you know, well, what about, you know, Oda May's agency and the scene Yes, or the implications like of. Yeah, you're not supposed mm-hmm. to be thinking about that. You're supposed to be thinking, oh. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. And, there's nothing, and there's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, no. exactly. And she does give consent, too, you know, which, right. like, there's a scene earlier where she does not. And so I think there is a, a contrast there. And it does seem like a selfless act that she is giving her body for this moment for these two people that she barely knows. You know? I know. Yeah, that that was my 2021 sort of critical <laughs> race theory is I was like, these fucking white people are destroying her life. And yeah. she deserves compensation. Like when he makes her give up that $4 million, oh my I God, thought, I'm no, like... you keep a million dollars as damages. Uh, totally. Give her a little something. Say, I'm like, God. Give it all to her. <laughs> For her trouble. I mean, oh, totally. you're a ghost. You have no money. How How are you? You know, <laughs> what is she? How is she getting compensated for this? Yeah. You can't take it with you, Sam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's got a full life she needs to lead. It doesn't matter if she's become a more powerful mentalist now and she's got a, a bustling business. It's like, <laughs> yeah, she didn't really want any of this. Here's a question I have. So when she discovers that she can, in fact, communicate with Sam because she is essentially a con artist when we when when mm-hmm. he first encounters her. Oh yeah. But then later in the movie, like she is able to see other ghosts. So I, I'm just curious if this is something that sort of like did Sam break down some sort of barrier for her or Yeah. I took it that he unlocked her potential. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. you know, I think it's it's fine if, if you don't have to think too hard about, well, you know, why wasn't she able to do this before and now she can. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's almost, and maybe there's a bit of confidence that he gives her too, because she mentions like knowing that like other women in her family had had this gift and right. she didn't ever want it. And this is like a... If you're going to get, like, harassed by a ghost, Patrick Swayze is about as good as you can get, you know? So, like, it's a good entryway in and kind of giving her... And she does have quite a bit of agency, even though she is kind of cajoled into doing a lot of this by this annoying song which i <laughs> had forgotten about and just like oh, no, that song that just came pouring out I, of me i remember that scene <laughs> i remember singing that over and over again oh, but i did want to ask about whoopi goldberg because before i watched this again i had in my mind like 
is this a negative depiction of a black character? Is this like, I am mm. always hesitant to say, is this an example of a magical Negro character? And I don't oh. know, if, you know, I'm a white person talking about this. So I don't think it's ultimately for me to really say, but I mean, I, I just, I wonder what the depiction of this, this character would be like today. Well, I mean, at least we're faring better than the role that Whoopi played in Stephen King's The Stand. I was thinking that <laughs> as well. Oh, yep. <laughs> because holy moly. Oh, yeah. That, um, yep. Lots of thoughts about that. Um, what, what a goddamn disappointment that <laughs> thing was. Oh, God, I hated it so every much. Every possible way. I mean, and you have the most beautiful cast, too. I know. I know. <laughs> Talented people across know, the board. Storytelling, so inept. Card. It should not be that hard to, to, to do a decent no. adaption of yep. the, uh, adaptation of it. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So uh, frustrating. Um, anyway. I do think, <laughs> going back to Ghost. <laughs> I do think that you could make that reading, that mm -hmm. she is a bit of a magical Negro. She exists solely to serve the purposes of the plucky white couple who have fallen on hard times and solve all their problems. Like, it happens not once, but twice, technically. Mm -hmm. So I think that reading is there, but... It doesn't feel super egregious to me. And I feel like she is, and again, you know... I'm a white woman talking about this. I just want to be mm -hmm. very clear about that. But she feels like a real character. She feels like she has her own life. You know, like we see her with her, who I assume are her sisters, maybe just because yeah. they call her sister. Yeah, they're, they're, they're her sisters, yeah. Yeah, and so I feel like she feels like a real character with her own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I also think it's important that, that he actually doesn't really have any sort of power role over her. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's, he's annoying. He annoys yes. her. <laughs> mm -hmm. He doesn't let her sleep, but he's not threatening her. He mm -hmm. doesn't really have any sort of real anything to hold over her or to, you know, he, he's just appealing to her, you know, her sense of kindness mm -hmm. and, and her desire to help people. Even she, even she, you know, is reluctant to do so. Yeah. yeah, it's not like he's blackmailing after he finds out that she is a grifter or a con artist. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say, I would happily watch an Odame Brown prequel where it's oh, like she's same. being raised by a spiritualist mother and like learning how to con maybe stupid white people out of money. Mm -hmm. I'd watch that. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Wouldn't it be like Ouija Origin of Evil, but like... <laughs> I mean, if it's as good as Ouija Origin of Evil, yes, please. Right. It'd be like a little bit of a sister act, a little bit of Ouija Origin of Evil, and I would watch the shit out of it. <laughs> I mean, I will say this feels like a prequel to Sister Act because mm -hmm, totally. the character is not that different. And then you also see her interacting with nuns and all I could think of was, oh, and now she has to go into witness protection. <laughs> At uh -huh. the memory. Oh my God, I love that movie. And the sequel too. They have a really um, special place in my childhood heart, <laughs> along with this one, too. Mm -hmm. So we are supposed to be talking about both the erotic and the thrillers. We've talked <laughs> about the erotic part. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about the end of this movie and how it does turn into, I don't want to say a conventional thriller, but we definitely get some thrilling aspects in the climax. Yes. Well, and I want to say, too, those demons that drag you down are terrifying. And mm -hmm. I remember being just really, really scared of them. Like Tony Goldwyn's death scene. Am I, I keep saying his name wrong. His death scene with the giant piece of glass that squashes oh. him. I remember being really scared by that also. And I mean, I was 10. And also the introduction of this, I think they're really going for a spooky fake out. You know, because mm -hmm. it's called Ghost and then you're seeing all these like creepy attic, you know, dustiness and this menacing music. And I realize I just talked about the opening when we're, we're talking about the climax. But, <laughs> but no, yeah. but it, it does set the stage because I thought the same thing. I thought between the score and the way the credits at the beginning of the film are set, you would be forgiven for thinking that this is a leprechaun relic <laughs> style kind of like, ooh, what are we going to see in this macabre museum? Yeah, and it's called Ghost, you know? Yeah. 
yeah it has, it, it has some horror elements like like mm-hmm. I, uh, again going back to the subway ghost i, I yeah. think th- those scenes are, are very scary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just the way he just goes ape shit on him like the 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 first time he sees him on his train mm-hmm. yeah agreed yeah and i think even i mean i got vibes of the net and other kind of technology thrillers that would come more at the halfway point of the 90s but even this idea that it's like oh we're using weird technology to do cyber crimes and if you don't protect something somebody's gonna break into your house and they're gonna steal things while you're in the shower and Mm -hmm. like the woman in danger vibes that particularly the back half of the film gives off is really strong like molly is in danger girl the entire back half of the film i'm sorry i had to i had to oh of course yes (laughs) we'll all get fired if we don't i have to do that and i have to do it's autumn sunrise (laughs) and one of us is gonna have to say ditto at some point and then start with a single (laughs) tear well if this is not to bring up dirty dancing again but this is another movie where like i didn't understand a lot of what the plot was like turning on mm-hmm. when I was younger because I hadn't realized that Tony Goldman was laundering money right. mostly because I didn't know what that was. But like, I found him really tragic on this watch too, because I mean, he, yes, he is the bad guy and yes, he does cause the death of Patrick Swayze. Although I do think he notes he didn't intend that he just wanted to steal his wallet, but I just found him really sad. And he, cause he's doing all of this because he's afraid drug dealers are going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And it, it gave me like Ozark vibes in a way also, you know? Oh yeah. It's very regular guy in over his head and uh-huh. then forced to do things that would regularly compromise his values. I do yeah. think he, then oversteps that when he starts to say like oh well sam you got to be back here with that with that lady or else i'm gonna kill molly at 10 p.m you're like oh boy okay well that escalated quickly and and also he's making passes at a very recent widow he is yes i was shocked by that i think when i watched it when i was 10 i was like oh well that's just what happens because you know they're a man and a woman in a scene together and you know they're gonna kiss because he's shirtless but yeah yeah it's brazen it very brazen. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be kind of into it. I think she's into it because she is beside herself, right? Like mm-hmm. we've, we've seen people make some bad decisions when they're grieving or that they maybe don't entirely understand what they're doing. Yeah, she uh, a lot of reviews weren't particularly kind to Debbie Moore in this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, again, she's she's really not the main character. Patrick mm-hmm. Swayze is probably the main character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of the of the four primary characters, she probably actually gets the least amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I think that she does sort of shell shocked really well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you know, what you may write off as oh, well, she's blank faced or she's emotionless. I, yeah, you know, I think she's just in shock and and. Yeah. and you know, I, I think that it's actually a, a pretty good way to play something like this, particularly like, like the unexpected death of some of, of your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. And then the scene with the penny where she kind of breaks down against the door. Uh-huh. I think that I was really moved by that because I think for the majority of the film, she's just kind of like, yeah, shell shocked, I think is a good way to put it. And she's just got this gorgeous crying face. Oh, my gosh. You know, where Honestly. it's just like. Like, how does she do that? It's like these immaculate tears. Like, she's just looking gorgeous, and then all of a sudden there are tears streaming down her face, and her face hasn't moved at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scene that really worked for me this go-around is when Carl is, we later realize he's trying to lure her out of the apartment so that Willie can come in and find the notebook. Mm-hmm. But Carl is saying, you know, come out for a walk with me. We'll just go for a couple of minutes or just around the block. And she can't do it mm-hmm. and i just thought oh have i been there a couple of times over uh-huh. these last two years oh, absolutely yeah, totally. and then he mm-hmm. says you know you you can't stop living like you're not the one who died and she just slaps him and you can mm-hmm. see the regret on her face instantly and i just think no there's so much more to this performance that people are not giving demi more credit for like she's not just a tear factory 
Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think part of that comes down to who she's acting against also. You know, she is just not, like you said, She the movie does not pivot on her. She is kind of the backbone of it, but everyone else is like dancing around her, you know, mm-hmm. but she she's solid and she holds a lot of the scenes together with just kind of this silent sorrow that she just kind of carries, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even watching her in the scenes where Otome is having full-on conversations with Sam, <laughs> and Demi Moore has to look perplexed and also not look at where Patrick Swayze is, while mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg is delivering an all-time comedic performance that is literally Oscar-worthy. Like, mm-hmm. it's not easy to be the straight man in a movie filled with performances that are this big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. with this strong of actors also. Yeah. Um, so any other thoughts about Ghost? It's, you know, particularly because I grew up in the 80s and so many, you know, quote-unquote iconic movies in the 80s are just so hard to watch now. Uh, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for, you know, if you're dealing with, like, racism, rape jokes, you know, yep. casual or not-so-casual homophobia, mm-hmm. transphobia, like, this is... It's a very pure movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I would say it's something you could watch with your grandmother. Yeah. Right. Well, the one love scene, like I said, it's 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 pretty it's pretty chaste. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the most nudity you get is a is a bare male chest. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's a very it's a very sweet and touching movie. It's a little long. Yeah, it's a little long. Yeah. But but it does a good job of building up the mystery. I still that ending still gets me every mm-hmm. goddamn time. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I watched it for the first time in probably about a decade the other day for this, and I'm still crying at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ditto, Gina. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's probably the gold standard for for you know movies in which someone gets to get one last look at, at their deceased mm-hmm. loved one before mm-hmm. they they ascend to heaven and it's just so good and it's yeah. so and it's so corny and i love it so, and i love it so much because he literally just walks into heaven yeah <laughs> and the movie ends because there's no yeah. more story to tell at that point exactly yeah. like we i was gonna say we don't see what happens to Odame's character but we don't see what happens to uh demi moore's character either you know mm. they just go I mean, they just go on which is yeah. the whole point you know it doesn't I mean, overstay its welcome and i think that's why the cheesiness works there is because yeah. it just is what it is and then and then he's he's there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with cordy done right absolutely well, it's so not heartfelt, yeah. right like you can yeah. tell mm-hmm. that it's earnest it's not cynical at all which i appreciate no. oh yeah there's not a mean bone in this movie's body one of the things i was thinking about when we were talking about tony goldwin is there's a moment when patrick swayze actually several moments where patrick swayze looks at him and there's just this look of pity on his face oh at yeah him. Mm-hmm. he's like oh i know you're a good you're um, you know ostensibly a good person or we had a connection and mm-hmm. even willie lopez like i do feel like that is a reasonably sympathetic version of this character you know like he is doing terrible things and he is the most overt bad guy but Mm -hmm. he's not like i feel like the movie still likes this character you know yeah initially i was very much you know gritting my teeth because it feels like what white people are scared of is that you're gonna walk down the street you're gonna get mugged by a person of color and they're gonna kill Mm -hmm. you and Mm -hmm. That does change, I think, when we see Willie get killed, because there is something of maybe not sympathy, but yeah, there's some anger from Sam when he sees what's happened. But he also, I think in that moment, regrets his choice because he does inadvertently get Willie killed. I think when he sees the fate that befalls him, it is so terrible that Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody is justified in going out that way. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I I agree with both of you. I think this movie has held up incredibly well. It mm-hmm. is still really funny. It is still really heartfelt. It is still really sexy. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Jita. It's maybe a smidge too long. But then <laughs> when I tried to think of what scenes I would cut, it's like... Oh. Right, exactly. Right. What are you going to well, cut? Ex- yeah. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It feels like a really nice warm film it's nice you're right exactly yeah. it, it's nice and, it's like and a warm blanket particularly mm-hmm. right now in a, in a time period where we're living on we don't we don't get a lot of nice no. mm-hmm. and, and, and i'm not going to get into my why barb and star go to mr del mar is my favorite movie <laughs> of the year but a lot of that has to do with just how nice it is yes yeah 
Yeah. But it feels true. It doesn't feel like saccharine nice. Right, right, it doesn't right. feel like it's exactly. lying to me. You exactly. Know? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. like it's obviously manipulating us emotionally, but it's not doing it in such a way that I feel like exposed or right. angry at the fact. I don't feel like I've been used when I've had Yeah, had like, okay, you got me to cry, but you mm-hmm. earned it. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our December episode of White Ladies in Crisis. And before we tell people where we're going to go in January for a new year, ladies, how can people get a hold of you? Gina, you go first. I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies, uh, focusing on the characters. Uh, Some recent movies we have done include uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, which uh, that's that's something else. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Susan Tyrell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we also uh, occasionally cover erotic thrillers on the side. not the same ones we cover here. We're very careful about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, we have done a strip to kill oh, and, uh, <laughs> and um, single white female. So uh, love that movie. You can look for us uh, kill by kill, and I am on Twitter under Gina does things. G E N A does things. Excellent. And Jen, uh, you can find me at Jen Ferratu. and you can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club, which is a Stephen King podcast, and we just did um our episode on the girl who loved tom gordon which was really fantastic i really enjoyed revisiting that and then some other losers are in uh, the heart of atlantis coverage right now and then you can also find me co-hosting the psychoanalysis podcast which we just finished uh recording our episode on black swan which i fucking love that movie Oh my that's gosh. a white that's a white lady in crisis. I that mean, is yeah, an erotic thriller right there. Yes. It really is. Yeah. I was you know, may have had a crush on Vincent Cassell in that movie. And you oh, know, everybody Jen. else in oh, it. Jen. <laughs> I know Vincent, he's a problematic crush. Um, but man, yeah. So and that and we're also doing an episode, a comfort horror episode on Carnival of Souls, which I have not seen yet. So oh. Nice. Yeah, Kay's gonna be joining us from Salem Horror Fest. So oh, that's okay. gonna be really fun. Yeah, that's a classic. Uh, yes, and you can hear me every week on Horror Queers. And uh, yeah, we're about to wrap up the year, but we're going to be doing a little celebration of Scream in anticipation <gasps> of its 25th anniversary. Yay! Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, uh, if you want to follow me, my handle is at <laughs> Eastel My Remote. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay, so we're going into a new year. We're going to start fresh. This is great. Ghost was fantastic, but also mm-hmm. I need the sexy back. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going to kick off 2022 with In the Cut, the Jane Campion. Just I've heard it's filthy sexy. So I'm very <laughs> yeah, excited is, for Mark Ruffalo. This is not chaste. No, I <laughs> yes. mean, the first cut is the deepest. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Oh no. Hey, I am who I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that about does it for White Ladies in Crisis. And, uh, you know, according to Ghost, what you should do is you should stay out of dark alleys and you should also stay off the subway. Mm-hmm. Always yeah, get your idea. own train. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. We'll see you in January. <laughs> Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.